Gaming on the Frontier. This is Bruce. This is Trav. This is Jonathan. This is Blix. This is Pixie. Welcome to Gaming on the Frontier, your podcast that just reached 600 episodes. Golf clap, no golf clap. Welcome to our podcast. We have been doing this since 2009. As a matter of fact, we're almost exactly recording this on the day that we released our first episode in 2009. It's been a long, long journey for us. Oh, yeah. And a lot of changes have happened, and we just want to thank everybody who has been with us from the very beginning, especially our hosts, who have been with us from the beginning or came in a little bit later, but have really contributed to this uh, podcast. I'm the only original host who's still here, and uh, I'm feeling it. (laughs) (laughs) You know, after a while, you you know, when you herd cats, you get scratches, so yes. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. yeah. Get, a, get a little get a little shy of that. But anyways, yeah, I mean, nobody expected such a long duration. We would have topics and ideas on how to bring the awesome to your game for this many years. But I'll tell you, you know, it's, I mean, if you go back to 2009, I started this podcast because it, it was my idea. And with the help of the other people who are part of the Fringeworthy Design Group. Because the year before, 2008, is when we released the D20 edition of Fringeworthy, which took quite a while to get out, too. So, and the reason that we started the podcast was because I'd always felt that the one of the big reasons for the games of Tritac, you know, especially Fringeworthy and Bureau 13, not really getting the traction that I thought it should have is because that gaming has always been a new product-driven market. And unless you're releasing new products on a regular basis, uh, you just fall out of the minds of the, of, of, the, of the people who aren't actively playing. So in order to bring in new new customers in order to keep their interest up, you need to continuously produce product or at least announce that it's coming and stuff like that. Tritac has was always terrible about that. Okay, I mean, if, it, he Richard would be talk your ear about uh, uh, off about all the different things that he had in the works that was planning on coming out if you could actually talk to him at his booth. But for the for the public at large, they had no clue what was happening. So. One of the reasons that I wanted to create the podcast was, first of all, to bring out all the information that I felt was not getting out about the game, all, all the detailed stuff. You know, we could either produce like supplement after supplement, which we could have done, but 
it would have taken a long time to do each one. I mean, assuming that we even did 50 pages each, okay, rather than the the, the 100 or even, you know, longer, because that's how long, you know, most supplements in those days were, was around 100 pages, 50 to 100. Even if we'd done that, then it still would have taken us at least six months for each one, and, you know, getting art for it, getting a cover for it, you know, all those things, getting Richard to do the final blessing of it. Yeah, yeah. And I said, this this isn't going to generate the kind of buzz that I wanted. And so when I saw how m many people were starting gaming podcasts and how big the community was, I said, this, this is the way to get information out. Because I never really cared about making a living off of this or, or making money at all over it. I just wanted to get the word out about all the different things and answer questions that had been burning in my soul for 20 years and I wanted to make sure they got you know they got answered it was the originally the fringeworthy podcast because I wanted to talk about all the different things that was fringeworthy things that we hadn't talked about things that I you know I thought would really enhance the game and and, a, and especially how to play the game because I felt that a lot of people including myself originally I, I want everyone to know that I really learned how to play the game by doing the podcast and thinking about all these different issues. And I'm a much better GM for Fringeworthy as a result of, of doing the podcast than I was when I started. You know, I, I kept trying to do the same mistakes that everybody else did. The primary one being is treating it like a travel log. Which, you know, hey, you go through, you see this big tower in the distance, all shiny and bright. Okay, we go over there. All right, you you run into a few things along the way, you know, and you get there. And it's a big shiny thing, you know, and it's left behind by a, a, a group that's gone for a thousand years. Oh, and by the way, here come over the least smeller to kill your party. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> rinse, repeat. Yeah. Yes, and and you know it's not surprising that the average length of my campaigns throughout most of my life uh, for Friends Royal has been around four months. But then when I started doing it better, <laughs> I have campaigns that have been running now for years and years and years because you know. So I wanted to get that out there. I wanted the players to learn. That hey, there's this isn't like D and D. This isn't like you know a lot of other games. This has its own kind of it's it's its own genre, which is adventure gaming, and you know you need to do things differently. And so that's one that's the main reason I got the thing started. And fortunately, I had people like Peter and John uh, Ryer and uh, and then Trav who came on later uh, to help me because I didn't have all the answers. But b between us, we basically really brought the awesome that was always in the game, but nobody knew it was there. Oh no! Like 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 Rich always said, TriTap was tabletop role playing's best kept secret. The fan base is, as we as they say today, fervent AF. The fan base for the TriTap games, or what I inwardly call the Tahulkaverse is just these people have been playing it since the beginning and they're passing it down their 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 progeny. Right. When Rich asked me to be on this podcast and I came in at episode 24, Mission Failure, myself and Jay Haley. And so I'm sitting there going, okay, these guys are all experienced. These all guys have all known Rich longer. 
Enbridge took me under his wing. And so it's like he wanted me on there because he saw the ideas I had. And I remember the first time I met those three and it was after I'd seen Blix's art for the Fringeworthy D20 cover. And it, it was, there, there was some fanboying Blix. We'll just put that out there. I was like, oh my God. Yeah. yeah. Nice. And <laughs> it's taken a lot for me to miss recording an episode because I'm just like, what else can I learn about this system that I fell in love with when my now first ex-wife bought me an autographed copy of Incursion at a local Detroit con 30 some odd years ago, the 92 edition of Incursion. And just my skills as a game master have just grown exponentially, geometrically, just, yeah. And I've brought so many people into the fold for TriTac, and they just love the, the, the utility and the versatility of these games. And I'm glad to bring that awesome to them because they're like, oh, then there's this and there's this. Yeah. And just this podcast has just helped me monumentally, just incredibly so. And it's it's a gift that Rich gave me that I, you know, I do my best to repay in some way by just helping bring that awesome with all these people that have been attached to it. So, yes, just it's incredible. It was uh, it was kind of funny, Bruce, you and I were talking online. I think you were saying, yeah, you know, I've really been thinking about uh, trying to how to promote Fringeworthy more. And I recently had gotten into pod, like listening to podcasts a lot, like just going down the uh, you know, rabbit hole of podcasts. And uh, I said, we should do a podcast. You're like, yeah, OK. Yeah, we should. You're right. And I think you'd been thinking about it for a while. And uh, and then you were like, um, you said, OK, when do you want to start? I was like, uh, wait, what? <laughs> it's like. You can't you can't suggest something like that and then just walk away. So um, so I think Bruce wasn't. I'm, I'm trying to remember. I it's been 13 years. Um, I think I did a lot of the. Did I do the original technical research on some of that? Like kind of figured out some of the tech end of that in the beginning. I don't know. I, I remember. I was the one who chose Podbean. Yes, you did choose. You started Podbean. We had a whole lot of issues about trying to figure out, you know, which which how are we going to record it? You know, are we going to do it on Skype? And 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 the whole thing about microphones, which has been an ongoing issue from the very beginning. And you know, it's funny people like take for granted now. If if you've never tried to do any podcasting or be on a podcast or record anything, everything now is so much easier. Like. Back then, it really was kind of like the Stone Age. It really was, yeah. No, it was like it was like a secret, uh, a uh, cabal of people. Yeah, you know, and you're like, how do you do this? You know, and, and uh, we we'd have seminars at conventions showing talking about how you do it. And it's it's crazy because there was a you know there were terms didn't even exist yet. You know, because live streaming wasn't really a term yet. There wasn't that didn't exist. Yeah. Right. Um, there, there was no platforms like YouTube live is, I guess, not around really anymore, but, um, right. You know, like hangouts and stuff that didn't exist. None of, none of that, none of that kind of stuff existed. So we, we had Skype, we had Skype and we had iPods going and looking on the Apple uh, site for pot, you know, a podcast. And that was one of the reasons I wanted to go to a weekly thing because I wanted to make sure that there was always new episodes popping up. Of course, there's so many podcasts out there that, you know, even that makes it hard to, to differentiate yourself. 
And now what? And now there's there's I think there's more podcasts than there are listeners. An awful lot of gaming podcasts basically have gone away. Really good mm-hmm. ones too. You know, they just the people involved, I, um, they, their lives went in different directions and they stopped doing it. I managed to save a lot of the ones I really was impressed with, like the brilliant gameologists and some of the other ones. But uh, a lot of it is literally just lost. Is just you know those those episodes are, are and and all this all the knowledge and 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 uh, wisdom that the of these people you know is has been lost. So you know unless of course you know at some point somebody wants to you know try to make a uh, archive of some kind where people can get this some of these these things back. I don't know. Well, I think the reason why a lot of these go away is because some some folks have what I call uh, unrealized expectations. You know, they, they wanted to get into podcasting and they thought it was going to be one thing. And then, you know, they find out, oh my God, it's a lot of work. And there's no, I mean, there's there's money in it for, for a very small group of folks. Yeah. Um, but if, if you like, you know, if you really want to, you know, you really want to make some money, podcasting is not, is not the place to, to do it. I mean, I guess you can, some, some do, but I mean, you got, you would have to, you have to put ads. You have to put ads. And I think you'd have to quit your job. I think you'd have to do it full time. I think you have to be a full time gig, just like any other job. You want to make money in a job, you got to work at it full time. Uh, and I think these people do. I think some podcasters uh, transitioned over to video casting on YouTube mm-hmm. and basically had yeah. channels there, especially the ones that did things like reviewed uh, video games, because then they could actually show the video games they were reviewing. Role playing games are basically theater of the mind. Uh, I've been surprised at how successful that uh, YouTube has been with that, with with yeah. the ones that have done it. But I'm sure there's also lots and lots of people who haven't uh, been successful there either. So uh, I always said I, I don't care about making money. I care about the quality of the product that we produce, that we actually are bringing the awesome. We're, give, we're basically rewarding these people with their interest okay, for their time with something that they can use and something that maybe they haven't thought about before because, you know, that that's where our, you know, our experience has been, you know, that, you know, our our credit, so to speak, you know, that we, all the years we have, all the games we played, even though, you know, all of us haven't played all games, you know, we still, because of those, that interfeeding are able to like say, hey, you know, there, if you tried this because it was in this game and it was really cool, but you, it is in your game, so maybe you should try adding it to your game and yeah. things like that. You know, just I've been very, very impressed with the quality of the podcast over the the years that we've done it. You know, obviously not every pot, every episode's been gr- you know golden, okay, but there's <laughs> been a really high signal to noise ratio, in my opinion. And I hope that our listeners agree with that, because <laughs> otherwise I'm just like, you know, drinking my own Kool-Aid over here. <laughs> and it's delicious. Uh, it is delicious, yes. When we first po- posted that up there, and of course we saw like hundreds of people downloading it, and we're like going, wow, look at that. You know, because if a hundred people showed up at your house every week to listen to you talk, you'd think you were hot stuff. Yeah. Hey, yeah. Bruce, what do you uh, do? You have any of the stats in front of you at all? Like, like, do you have any idea on what like the highest downloaded episode was? I know it was over uh, like seventeen hundred. It was like enormously high. I was like shocked at how high it was. We had an episode that had seventeen hundred downloads. What? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yes. 
Sorry, that was me hitting refresh a lot. (laughs) (laughs) And it was the only one. It was like, bing, and then down again, you know, down to where it normally was. See, the thing is that that, Podbean was always very confusing because there's people that listen to it by clicking on it, you know, on the website. Okay, those aren't downloads. There's people that download okay, uh, as in literally download it to their machine. And then there's the people that get it through the, the various uh, pod catching sites, yeah. like Apple and stuff. And I'm not sure whether that qualifies as a download either, okay? I was always very confused as to, you know, the overall whatever. But I know that uh, we've done, we've had over 100,000 downloads of all of our episodes um, since since it started, I, I, I every so often Podbean says you've won this award of over a hundred thousand downloads, and I'm like, cool. <laughs> yeah, so. I, I I was looking up before we started what episode Pixie premiered on. It was episode three hundred five. That has one hundred forty two downloads. Episode three hundred five playing in the Pokemon universe. Yeah, that was very popular. Oh no, no, I I I will say this what? about you, Pix. I, I did a research checking out everything. Okay, what episodes? And I'm seeing episodes, and this is a few years ago, so I'm sure these 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 numbers have changed. And I'm seeing for the normal stuff, okay, 70, 80 downloads. I'm looking at Pix's episodes, 100, 110, because it was all that adding fringe-worthy to various intellectual properties having to do with video games, fill in the blank. Pokemon, Spyro, and um, Crash. Bandicoot. Yeah, More- yeah. More currently popular games that people could take this old system and play in that world with. And just because it was newer, fresher intellectual properties appealing to, let's face it, a younger generation. And so, oh no, because there are times I'm sitting, when we're sitting here back in the old days, Pix was here planning. There's concepts zipping by me and damn bullet time. Okay, fine. I accept your word. Okay, I got you. And just, yeah. It because my video gaming is the Atari 2600. I'm putting that out there. Wow. And so just all of these episodes that she came up with, and a lot of times John was along for the ride and Bruce and I are just smiling and nodding because we had no idea what 90% of this stuff was. The Minecraft episode, Bruce and I were totally clueless on. Pixie and John just went to town on that one. It was, it was a thing of beauty, the synergy between you two. Yeah. But yeah. As I said, the, the episode 305, 142. Right. Uh, I think a major factor there was, all, I mean, it's, it's kind of like, see, this is like, do people respond to the topic? Are they responding to listening to it? I never quite know. But I can say that every episode that Pixie hosted, was she was highly invested in that episode. And it really showed. She brought, uh, she brought her A-game to you know those those episodes and you know we were all the better for it. Oh, the grin on her face right now is just it, it, it's it, kind it, of yeah. just the whole. I still have a few ideas, and then there's the combination of I have these ideas, and oh my god, people actually like listening to me. Yeah, maybe this is why the other well, thing is working. Well, Pix, you have your own Twitch channel now, Professor Pixie. You know, on Twitch Twitch TV, is it? Yes. Okay, so. She's doing the video game stuff on that. Mm-hmm. And, and every and, time I look at it and see how many views each one is getting, I'm like, why are people listening to me? 
But no, you know, yeah, I would sit here, you know, we, because all the episodes that she was with, she's here with me in my living room here at Command Central. And just, she's just dun, 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 notebooks full of stuff. And I mean, just, you know. Yeah. And and so, yeah, it's like me. I would work. Uh, let's see. When I did adding Fringeworthy to riffs, I had half a half a page of notes and a bunch of books spread out on my bed. I'm sitting with my laptop recording and she's there with just a notebook full of stuff. And so, yeah, it's just when she dropped that knowledge, it's just it. I'm sure that just the evident love for that particular property shine through. Yeah, it definitely did. And, and speaking of uh, uh, back about, you know, how long we've been doing this, you know, a lot of changes have happened to us. I mean, uh, John went on to start his own game company. Yep. Peter, he went through a couple of, you had like these kind of, uh, they were not just sidelines. They were like, you, you had like two different careers going at the same time. And it finally took you away from us. From 2009 on, you went through a lot of changes, you know, uh, professionally uh, and, and in gaming as well. Yeah. Even beyond the Myth Mythwits, which was your own uh, uh, channel on YouTube. Yeah, yeah. I um, So I, <clears throat> I started doing live things for TriTac at, at conventions. And I, I really liked doing that, that live, like, talkie show type of thing where I interviewed people. Um, and I decided that I wanted to try, you know, doing like a live interview show with like with video. And um, so I started out on this, uh, this thing called Justin TV. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's sort of, there was Justin, then Twitch branched off of Justin, then Justin went away and it, and it was just Twitch. But then about the same time YouTube live started and you could, you could do this stuff on YouTube. Uh, which has since gone past again. Um, but anyway, so I started doing this this like kind of geek talk show uh, every week. And that was very taxing, a lot of work. I, I did that for about seven years, close to yeah, seven years. Yeah. yeah, this was the Mythwits, right? Yeah, this was the Mythwits. And I just, I, I burned out on it. It was just so much work. I mean, you think audio is a lot of work. You throw video on top of that and interviewing people. And yeah. that was crazy. Um, and then at the some time, let's say like three years into the Mythwits, yeah, about three years into the Mythwits, um, I started doing some other things too. I I, I had the this brilliant idea of uh, starting two other podcasts: the Game School podcast and um, a Cuba Death podcast, which was based off a game I made. And then, so I was doing Mythwits, Cuba Death, and Game School, and then also doing work with TSR. Uh, at the time, which has now become Solarian. Um, Mythwits has gone away, Game School's gone away, and uh, Cuba Death has gone away, although it's still a game. Um, but all those things had their time, and I finally was like, you know, I don't want to do Mythwits anymore. I love the show. It was a great time. I think it was a quality show, but it was just, it was so much work. It was just so much work. I just was like, you know what, I can't, I can't do anything else other than this. If I'm gonna if I'm gonna do this show, I need to like stop making games and stuff. And I didn't want to do that. I was like, and the show had a good run. You know, I I interviewed a bunch of people and you know had fun. Yeah. Um. It, it, it unfortunately is the tautology that every game designer runs into, which is is that you can design games and publish them and promote them, or you can play them. 
Right. And and it's really hard to, you know, to, to, to form a, a balance between the two that lets you at least be somewhat in both both worlds. Right. So, yeah. Oh, and I had a weekly game. So I did I did manage to play in a, in a weekly game. So I don't know. I just I was just tired of not getting any sleep and not having any time to do anything else. And you had a family. I have a family. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I got, yeah. I got a 13 year old. Yeah. She's 13 now. Yeah. yeah. Which means that, you know, she was like being born when we were starting. Yes, that's true. That is true. (laughs) I remember she was, we would record episodes and she would be upstairs in her room and I'd be down in my little office in the the first little apartment when when we first started the show. And I had my little blue snowball microphone, which is the the microphone I started with. I have a white blue snowball. Yeah, Yeah, that's what I had. Well, now, now I've, I've totally upped my game. I'm using the... The uh, the blue Yeti X Yeti X Nano Yeti X something. It's the it's the newest it's the newest one. It's super nice microphone. I love it. Right. So I started doing game design with uh, with TSR. Um, who then? Uh, it's a long story about TSR, but it's not the TSR you know. It's the whole thing. Anyway, we we decided to rebrand because somebody else came out with. Hey, guess what? TSR three came out apparently. Uh, which has been a real dumpster fire that those guys have really poked the bear. Um, so we decided to rebrand and we became Solarian games and we basically scrubbed and just kind of started over with a bunch of stuff. We still, we still have top secret, which we sell, but, um, but we, uh, you know, we made a new website, we made a new Facebook page. We just started over from scratch with a lot of the stuff. And, um, yeah. And, and, and me and James and Jason Elliott, uh, we are three partners in it, so it's, I don't, ah. it's really cool. It's really cool. I love it. Is that your second job or is your first job now? Oh, oh, oh I do have a main job. Okay, so I, well, I, I, I do actually have a paying job, because um, <laughs> because gaming gaming doesn't really pay either. I mean, we make a little still, bit. Still, still doesn't pay. Okay, all right. Not really. I just Not wondered because really. you were you you were kind of our success story. Yeah, it's a little bit here and there, but no, no. What, what really pays the bills is my engineering job. So I, I. Um, work at a prototype facility for the army design, you know, design prototypes and stuff for the, for the military. I've moved over to a, I was an engineer doing just engineering and I've moved over to, I've run a team now of uh, animators and graphic artists. And, ah. uh, and so we, we make things like, um, you know, apps and web pages and videos and 3d animations. And we're trying really hard uh, we've made a few VR and AR applications, but we're trying really hard to like do something really crazy um, and make some make some really cool like high tech crap. So wow. I, that's been, that's been pretty exciting. Well, this is this is a change from when you you know you were designing like armored vehicles. Yeah, I was. Well, well I wasn't designing the armored vehicles. I was designing trainers for the armored vehicles. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but, All right. I, yeah, I don't have to design. I couldn't design a vehicle to save my life, but I can design something. Uh, that that you can use for training or something that you bolt onto a vehicle. Ah, but yeah, no, no, it's cool. It's been a great career. I, I really, really love what I do, and I love supporting the warfighter and serving the great people of America. It is fantastic. Trav, you know, basically raised uh, or in, in some way raised a daughter. Uh, she, you know, uh, she graduated college, went off, and got married. Or no, she she graduated high school in 2011 because she was born in 93. Uh, She's been in school. She worked for the airline industry, tried to go to school for uh, graphic design, 
and she is known in the anime artist community as Backslash. Uh, she um, she now works as an engineer for a company that does testing for our local power company. Okay, nice. So my kid is making like thirty dollars an hour, and you know, it's like, hey, can we can take your old man out to lunch or dinner sometime? You know, hey, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Basically, we started the podcast. Your daughter was in high school. Yeah. Yeah, and then and then went on from there. Okay, just like in in my case, my son was in high school when we started the podcast, and he's gone on to graduate and gone through a couple of jobs now, and he's currently uh, doing uh, application development for a company that basically handles all the billing for like multiple states worth of power companies. Oh, geez. because what happens is is that power companies sometimes need power. And they don't have the generation facilities, so they buy it from other companies. And, and and sometimes those companies are in other states, and they have different laws about how you know how th what the charges are and what you know the various fees and 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 things like that. And so he, he basically he's part of this application that essentially takes care of all that. You say I need like you know five hundred you know megawatts from the next state over and they, they deliver it and they do handle all the accounting behind the scenes and he has to make sure that that keeps working. So that's what he does. But before that, he was working in a VR place where they literally had, a, you know, the space and everybody wore helmets and went around and he, he basically kept that thing going too before that. And before that, he worked for a, a, a phone app company, you know, and he had that job all the way through, uh, through college you know, part-time. So while I've been doing all this podcasting, you know, it's, and he, and, and, you know, I, I raised him as a, as a gamer. I mean, he tried his very best to be just a, uh, uh, an electronic gamer with his Xbox and his, uh, GameCube and his PS2 yeah. and all that stuff like that. But somewhere along the line, okay, I, 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 I managed to, you know, to, 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 to hook him up because he started running Pathfinder and now he's running his own Starfinder campaign and he's with his buds that he's been with since high school and they're all playing it, you know, either remotely or in other different rooms on on Roll20. The point is, is that, you know, I, I, I have successfully raised a gamer, so I feel very, you know, satisfied in myself who's also financially good. And all the while that I'm doing this, you know, I'm also running this podcast, you know. Yeah. So, and I don't know which one I'm more proud of, but I'm really sure it's him. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I tell Shelly, forget the game, forget the show that I do, forget the podcast. Shelly's my first best creation. Yeah. And just, I, tr I got her into the gaming and it was so funny. She tried getting my now son-in-law Bruce into the game, right. and he, he didn't. He wasn't into it. It just and Shelley started getting a little like, oh my god, did I do something wrong? And of course, the trap ego kicks in. First of all, I taught you. Second of all, not everybody's a tabletop gamer. Don't take it personal. And it's fine. Bruce may decide later. Yeah, let's try it again. I hope so. The theater of the mind is always going to be a, a, a bigger world than anything that you see on a, on a screen. No, it's funny. Real quick, I got Shelly her first 3.0 player's handbook, and I wrote in the cover that you're going to meet people through this hobby that you will have adventures with for a lifetime. 
And so Shelly starts up, has their dice, starts making her first character. And of course, I start doing, you know, holding my chest, you know, I, I, I'm so proud. And she's like, Dad, you know, just I'm like, what? You're making your first character. Why? We always embarrass them. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, yeah. I know. Pretty sure there's some that description. Right. Well, of course, now <laughs> when my son has a problem with his game, you know, he says, yeah, we're trying to do this and that. And I was like, funny you should mention that. We did that in episode 471. <laughs> Why don't you go listen to it? <laughs> all the dad knowledge, you know, relating to uh, uh, gaming is all out there. And, um, and, and we were talking about how you know, uh, you know, basically people like just fade away. It, it is my intention that as long as I'm still alive, I will pay the 90, the $100 hosting fee every year to keep this, this podcast available, all these episodes. So, um, the, uh, and I appreciate over the years, how you guys have, have donated money toward that. But, uh, that's, that's one of the things that I, I, I really hated, about how the things that I, I liked, I'd say, wow, this is a great podcast. They're like, where can I listen to it? And they, it's gone. So I, I said, I'm not going to do that. Uh, you know, and uh, it's it's my gift to Richard uh, that, as a matter of fact, all this has been my our gift to Richard. Uh, and uh, and that's one of the things that also happened during that, that 13 years was uh, Richard passed on. Uh, and, uh, you know, now, now there's a new Tritac uh, with his, his uh, widow and uh, and John Ryer, who's done a number of things with him, and lots of other people over in Michigan that I have never met or I met at the funeral. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. We're glad to uh, promote Richard's legacy in his games and keep finding value in them. Let's move on to um, the the one thing we I wanted to do about uh, when we talk about this retrospective that we're doing here when we did the podcast, we decided that it was going to be um, topical, where we would be talking about different aspects of the game. You know, we're going to talk about character generation. We're going to talk about system, you know, uh, you know how various systems work within the game, you know, and how it changes the game and, and gear and things like that. So on the Podbean site, we create categories. And every time I post a, a new episode up, I go and click the categories it falls into. Before we did this episode, I went through there and I pulled out um, by the categories how many episodes uh, had... So, you know, one, you know, something about this category in it. And Josie, which category do you think was at the top of the list? The Fringeworthy or Bureau 13 stuff. Fringeworthy, topping the list at 334 episodes. It does make sense considering we started off as the Fringeworthy podcast. I saw that and I just, there was no surprise on my face when I read that. Yeah, just. <laughs> the interesting thing was, is that we changed from the Fringeworthy podcast to the TriTag Games podcast at episode 41. That was the first year. So, uh, <laughs> so, but we continue to uh, make Fringeworthy and, it was, and a lot of that was me. As a, as a thing, but also the fact that, as I've said all along, every game that has ever been made can fit inside a Fringeworthy. Yep. Because it, as an interdimensional, multiple reality type game, you can literally play any game, any game system, you know, can be in that and use, you know, the 
the awesomeness that is fringeworthy of interdimensional travel and 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 uh, putting your your ch uh, chocolate in my peanut butter and your your peanut butter in my chocolate. Oh no, I I've explained to people the concept of I mean you could have a D and D game, you could have a Gamma World game, you could have Boot Hill Top Secret, a superhero game, right? And they can all be connected by fringeworthy, and just they're like wait a minute, and I'm like yeah I know right yeah that's how Rich made this and just. And you could take your characters from one game and put them in another. Yeah. And that was revolutionary. And TSR had, like, the ability to go from D&D &D into Boot Hill and, and vice versa. And, but it was like a, a couple of paragraphs in the very back of the D Dungeon Master's Guide, okay? Yeah. I never knew yeah. anybody who actually did it other than dropping a, a, a gunslinger into D&D &D and finding out. And the guy finds out, oh, wait, nobody knows how to make bullets. Mm. Right. <laughs> yeah, Merlin. Yeah, yeah, Merlin. Yeah. Okay. Well, we had 334 episodes, so obviously Fringeworthy was really important. So to me, the best episodes for Fringeworthy were the Meller episodes because they he, they were the big bad. They were, the, oh, yeah. you know, the episodes on gear where we just talked about all the various gear that could be used in exploration and how that gear would change depending upon the tech level of the campaign. Well, also, it helped a lot that scientifically, technically, you, John, and Blix, you're tight on all that stuff. Yeah. Me, I'd come in, I'm like, I, I, okay, yeah, and just, no, you three with all your technical and science and computer skills and whatnot, and Blix's designing skill and John being a technical writer, no, that was the thing I was impressed with. I'm just sitting there just in awe, and I and, and the episodes I'm in, I talk very little about that because I know that's your three's wheelhouse. Yeah, and let me tell you, so, Trav, after after 12 years of working for the Army, doing you know in the position that I'm in, yeah, that knowledge I had back then is nothing compared to what I know now. Oh, geez. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just imagine all you know what you could bring you know to uh, you know some follow up episodes because we keep talking about we ought, really ought to go and and uh, revisit that and say hey this is what you can do now you know because you know if you looked if you bought Richard's game before we basically this group here you know we were the ones you know that really pushed getting the D20 edition out. And it was yeah. a, a much more updated version. Before then, everybody was using the 1992 edition. This is before yeah. the internet, okay? Yes. <laughs> this is before smartphones. This is before yes. so much. And people playing the game were like, well, why can't I do this? Or why can't I do that? And it's like, it wasn't in the game because nobody had ever even imagined it. So, you know, games like these that have a technological basis, a lot of times, I mean, it's a good thing every so often to go back and do that. And the, the fact that we did uh, those episodes back at the beginning, especially, uh, that means that it's been 10 years and we probably should go and revisit those categories and such that we did. Some of those episodes, what's the phrase? They probably have not aged all that well. Uh, maybe, maybe not. I, I, you know what? I'll, I'll tell you, you know, my favorite though, Bruce, my favorite was when you would drop some kind of bomb that we didn't know about that Rich had told you. And we made a decision early on that uh, when we did the Frenchworthy podcast, that, that gloves were off. We were going to reveal all secrets because if we didn't, Rich never would. That's for sure. He had, he had all these best kept secrets like, oh, yeah, you can do this in a French band. Like, well, nobody knows that. Yes. <laughs> and you had gotten it. And we we're just like, you know what? We're telling. We're, we're, we're going yeah. to tell everybody. 
And we got the blessing of Richard to do that, by the we, way. We did. We did. Yeah. But like, like, for example, the fringe train. I didn't know the fringe train was a thing. I didn't know that you could like summon it by holding two crystals up. It wasn't any of the books he'd ever published. <laughs> what, what were There were a couple of other ones, too. Wasn't there something about going a certain speed through the ring turned, made you fringe worthy automatically? I just found that out like last damn year. Yeah. <laughs> the, the fact that if you go at a certain speed, that the fringe path will basically assume that you're supposed to be fringe worthy and it'll basically update its registry and make you as a fringe worthy person. So anybody can become fringe worthy if they, if they travel fast enough. Uh, and, and that's, and, and I've used that in a number of adventures, you know, and, uh, you know, I actually haven't done it in my campaign where they know this. Okay. But I've, I've used it as a GM because, you know, once, once anybody can become fringe worthy, then, you know, the gloves are off. You're, you're going to have literally a weight, just a, a, a it's going to, you know, the, the fringe path has become a river. Of people going and so you know if you want to keep anything so i didn't want that i wanted still to be you know a, a kind of workable kind of thing so i said no you know they still don't know how to do that but there's weird situations where people who shouldn't be fringe worthy are fringe worthy and they don't quite know why okay like the time that they went to a world and they found all the characters from gilligas island on it and and they were, and they talked to them and they said, yeah, you know, we were flying our plane, the minnow, and, you know, we got caught in this air shear and then all of a sudden we were crashing through the side of a mountain and here we are. And, they're all, and, and the players are all like, who know this stuff? And they're all like, that doesn't make any sense, Bruce. And I said, oh, yes, it does. <laughs> so, you know. And, but we did put it into the uh, we we have announced it on on the podcast and you know and so but in the in the in the actual game itself in my personal campaign I have never you know no one's ever discovered that no the one that got me and and folks as I said every couple of months you people will hear an episode where I will and and I've probably known Rich ten years less than Bruce has. So I'm still learning stuff. Bruce will drop something I'm like, wait, what? This is a thing? And I've done this like maybe just a, even a few months ago. But the thing that got me, the first bombshell that Bruce and John and Flix dropped on me after I joined was the language gift from the portals. Yeah. Yep. I'm just like, wait, what? Hmm? No. We enforced that in the D20 edition. That didn't exist before. We basically sat down when we did the manual, did the Friendsworthy Bible, and I said, look, we need to change this game so it's more fun. So what what are the things that tick players off? And what one of the number one things that tick players off was I go to the portal and I can't talk to anybody because I don't know Swahili or I don't right. know uh, Navajo or I don't know ancient, you know, uh, ancient Mesopotamian. Okay. Yeah. And I said, okay, we'll fix that. As soon as you go through the portal, the portal gifts you with the knowledge that is uh, nearby to the portal. The, 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 not the knowledge, but the language. What is it mm -hmm. like uh, within a thousand miles of the portal, the dominant language basically gets downloaded into your brain? Yeah, and that, w and that way you can go out and talk to people and you don't have this constant frustration that people over the decades had complained about. We did that with a lot of things. And, you know, there were a couple of things we had arguments over and we just said, okay, you know, what's more fun? We just basically said, let's decide what's more fun. 
and do that, even though it's it's a break from tradition or whatever. And so we made some changes as a result. That happened with the D20 uh, edition. I'm going to have to reread that because I don't remember seeing that in that, but I'll reread it again. What episodes about Fringeworthy did you think were the best? I would have to say the adding. Not, not I mean, all of them, not just Pixies, which I'm incredibly proud of that I got her involved in this, but I mean, even the ones that we did just, even Jay did one for Star Wars back in the day. Just the fact that you could throw, yeah, you can throw a role-playing game, you know, if we're doing the role-playing game, but when you bring in some intellectual property, whether it's for movie, TV, video game, what have you, because it really opens up what you can do, what you can add, and just... And it has a possibility because if you take into account people searching for categories... Those things wouldn't just be listed under the fringeworthy category, but also the intellectual property they're involved with. Well, I don't think there's but, a category for intellectual properties. But, but. No, no, I'm saying is that, let's say there's a Star Wars-related category. Yeah. It would be listed under that category as well. Yeah, yeah, okay. These categories were did multiple dipping to each other. So, yeah. So, you know, I just basically, you know... Um, when I when I uh, look when I did things like the best episodes for each one, I was basically just saying, well, what you know, for that particular cat category, which did I think best matched up to that, and what I thought was a really good episode. So yeah, that was that's all I was trying to do. But yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Right, but I was trying to say it. It probably it makes those episodes even better because you can get new people into the podcast from both sides. Yeah, from a video or from a tabletop gamer and a fan of fill in the blank it's of intellectual property. Yeah. Yes. Because Frisbury had so many episodes, uh, it was hard for me to just basically limit to just one or two. But like I said, the to me the best episodes for Fringeworthy were the Meller episodes, the gear episodes the episodes where we explained how magic worked as far as how they worked in the Fringe Pass system. Oh, yes. Yeah, because magic could be different from world to world, but when we said things like, if there's magic on the Prime, then there's magic on the alternate, not the alternates, but on the uh, on, on the node itself, okay, but on the, 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 the system platform and all the way out to the star platforms. That, you know, people had never thought about that before. And then we could turn around and say, but yeah, you could have a, you could also have a node uh, where they, it wasn't magic at all, but it has an alternate that has magic on it because each alternate is actually a completely separate universe. Yes. These were things that nobody had explained before. And I thought that was really great. And, and Bruce, correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't we say that, you know, if you went to a world where there was no magic at all, then, then you wouldn't have magic. But if you went to a world that had had magic and it was different, you could actually manifest whatever this other magic was. And you'd be like, oh, OK, so I can cast a fireball. But here it's, you know, some kind of psychic fire tornado thing and like get yourself in trouble because, you know, it's it's similar, but it's not the same. Oh, yeah. Lots of times, you know, your magic would would manifest differently depending upon the, the rules of the universe that you were yeah. in. Sure, sure. Yeah, and uh, though that's a lot of work, and most of the time people don't bother with that. They just simply say, oh, it's got magic. Cool. All right, I, I can use my <laughs> magic now. <laughs> so, and it was important because, you know, magic worlds allow you to do things that are impossible. 
So right. if you wanted to, you know, you could go from one world, you know, like a science world, and you could go and and say, I we really need to like, you know, I don't know, make 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 a new element, okay? And uh, and you could take it and go over to a magic world and then use like you know alchemy to like dupe it, you know, dupe it, yep. like you know, a million times and have this huge mass of it. You have more element that's in the entire universe that you just came from, and then you take it back. And it still right. works because, you know, once it's been changed, it, the element's been produced, it's just it. It's not magically been maintained as an element. So you just right. take it back and do it. And so we started teaching people how to use the various laws in the various universes to, like, do more than what the, the total is greater than the sum of the parts kind of concept, yeah. mm -hmm. right? And then the last thing I thought, which was really great, was when we did those episodes on new crystal powers. Oh, yeah. First of all, when we did the D20 Modern one, we basically said, all those problem portals, those are actually crystal, those are crystal powers, okay? They're just, mm -hmm. you know, they're just inappropriately assi assigned to a, to a portal, and that they could actually be useful under certain circumstances. So that was a huge change to the game when we did that. Okay, yeah. and then we uh, and we ex and we went on to explain in the podcast how that could really change your game. But then later on, mo in like the last couple of years, we had a number of episodes. We said, well, okay, now that we've done all that. You know what new? You know we've had a chance to play like this and play the game under the 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 the, the new rules from two thousand eight. What changes need to be made now? Where the new where the new powers we think you know they should discover in in crystals or or portals or whatever you know that it should be brought to the game as a standard feature. You know and so those were I thought really great design sessions and I I thought you guys really brought your A game on that. So yeah, that, those those were my four, especially, you know, big, you know, categories. Uh, I mean, the uh, types of episodes that I thought Fringe really had. I, I'm gonna tell you that my favorite, it wasn't a favorite episode, but the the favorite it was a series that was four episodes. So we did this four episode series, um, back in the in the early days. Trav, I think you were you were part of us at the time. We did. Disasters and role playing. So, oh was, yeah, 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 yeah. It, so it was. It was more of a. Um, it wasn't fringeworthy based. We. I mean, we were talking about fringeworthy stuff, but but it was basically you could apply this to any role playing game, and we each picked a disaster. So you know, I think one or two, but I can't remember. It was but like there were like six or eight. So I think we each did two. And I have that listed also, Adventuring During a Disaster. There were 29 episodes that oh, had something to do with survival, not specifically Adventuring During a I think we had about eight, because the last one we did, I think, was Adventuring During a Zombie Apocalypse. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But we did fire, we did flood. A hurricane. I think I did hurricane. Hurricane. I think we had one where, uh, you know, if we got hit by an asteroid, uh, I think there was another one where there was suddenly a, a, a massive, you know, ice storm or something. You know, all the different, like, really bad things that could happen to people in, in an adventure. What I really liked about that was, was that it gave us time to think about that. And I did a lot of research on the two that I did, you know, and, and I learned stuff. You know, I was like, oh, I didn't know this was part of a hurricane. Um, but it really adds to the game master's ability um, to, to to have a game, you know. And they could even this could even be like impromptu games. Like I don't know what I'm going to run tonight. You know, I've run out of ideas for adventures or whatever. The party stuck or what? It's like you know what they're going to get hit with a hurricane, and we're going to role play that. 
and you could do it because we, you know, we included, you know, like a whole hour on, on, on all the things you could include and how the mechanics would work and how you have to deal with it. it I, I was really impressed with that series. I thought that was uh, me that to this day that sticks with me. And the best thing I remember of that is what you brought to it because you said, you know, the best way of treating these kinds of disasters as a is as a race. Mm -hmm. Okay, like using the savage world rules, where basically it's like the disaster is stalking you, and you're always trying to stay ahead of it. Yeah, you know, and that and and that to me really informed the play because yeah, that's that's kind of how all the disaster movies go where, you know, you think you're safe and then boom, it's, it's, it's like it's sneaked up on you. Yeah. And, you're, you know, at the end of it, you're running for your life and it just seems to be coming after you like it's got a mind of its own. Right. You know, and, and, and fire is like that and floods are like that. And lots of other things are like that. People talk about how it's, it's they're, they, they seem almost prescient sometimes. You know, and it's like they almost have it in for you. That was one of the times when we were talking about flooding that that it had never occurred to me prior to that. But the fact that if you're on the ground level, the flood is coming in and you run to higher ground, you might go to higher ground that's higher than the flood right now, but then realize that you're surrounded by water because it's only higher at one spot. And then the water overcomes that spot, too. And it's like, yeah. that's how you can get trapped. I never thought of that. Fire's the same way. Same thing can happen to you with a fire. It's like, well, I'll just run out of the fire. It's like, yeah, but you don't know where the fire is. And you don't know if you're running out of it or into it, if it circles around you. Uh, it's just, they were just cool stuff that I'd never thought. Oh, I just no, never fire thought of. has a life of its own. So it does that. Well, I'm just and, saying, yeah, just bef you... before we did the podcast, I just, I hadn't thought of that kind of stuff. Yeah. And it's, it, that's stuff that, you know, that as a game master, I mean, a game master, you only know so much, you know, I mean, you're just human, right? And you're trying to tell a story and you, you can't know everything. Um, and given the, given, given folks, these tools to, you know, think us taking the time to think about things to present that to them. It's something that, that people can learn and, and keep in the back of their heads when they're gaming. It's like, hey, you know what? I'm going to fire break out in this building because, you know, players set things on fire all the time. Oh yeah. All the time. <laughs> so, and, and they never think of the consequences of it. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Okay, so the uh, second most uh, 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 biggest topic was Bureau 13 oh, yeah. at 175 episodes. <laughs> Again, not too surprising. Uh, for me, the, uh, the two uh, episodes that I really, really liked more than the rest, and I thought they were going to be really useful to the players, was B-13 for a new millennium and the episode we did on Bane's. Mm. about how to use them and why they exist. One of the things that I thought about Banes was is that people were always like, my guns don't work. My character is useless, you know? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, yes, you know, you, some, sometimes you have to know something about the, the creature you're fighting and they have a weakness and you need to learn it. And, and these things that are common items that you might not think anything about become, it, you know, secret, you know, Achilles heel. And then, of course... Be, how should B-13 change to make sense in uh, in the 21st century? But mostly I just thought it was a really good episode whose, whose time really had come. What year was it, 2010, for the D-20 edition of Bureau 13? 2008. It was. So it was, both of them came out pretty much the same year. Yeah, yeah. When we did this, you know, 10 years later, a lot of things had happened. And with all the stuff you had brought in uh, for the uh, second Second World and such, 
Oh, yes. that was that was a huge game changer in a lot of ways. Um, so it, it, we really needed to to make have that discussion, and I'm really glad we did. It was an open fiction license that everything but the words Second World Source Book, the author Steve Peterson said, use in your game. And I've seen both the chart. I've seen all the charts. Oh, here's how to give defense bonuses to D and D characters, and how to have D and D characters be on par of modern. I decided to bring in the setting itself and make it B-13 canon, which it now is. And so I put things here and there. I didn't want to do, like how you say, a travelogue. I didn't want to do copy and paste. So I felt, okay, there's more things about this setting than I need to bring to light. I touched upon it with certain things like the Kabbalah families and certain corporations. and But other more vital aspects is what I'm like, no, we need to discuss this on the podcast. So when people buy this book, this second world source book, they'll have more to work on when they do the Bureau 13 campaign. Which of the Bureau 13 episodes did you think were the best? Double jointed so I can pat my own back here. The second world stuff, because I opened a whole new avenue on how the Bureau works and just that whole thing. And I put a lot of research in that that particular book. I had to buy a second book because I thumbnail, or what is it, dog-eared the heck out of the first book. Jonathan, I haven't heard from you for a while. You skipped right over me when it came to Fringeworthy, but that's all. I'm sorry. I'm very sorry, but you know, you're welcome to revisit that. Well, I will go ahead and just, it's it's very brief. I will say that as far as Fringeworthy, my favorite episodes were where we dropped those Fringeworthy lore bombs, whether it be the mechanics of the French paths or life in the Commonwealth before the fall, all that kind of stuff, because I am a lore hound. So I love getting all that lore, because then that's just more stuff for me to build on. Sure. Well, then how about Bureau 13? So Bureau 13, and it might seem a little uh, self-indulgent because I was the one who suggested the topic, but the SCP Foundation in Bureau 13. Oh, Jonathan, that was a beautiful episode. And I think that was his premiere. That was, well, that was the first one he hosted. That was, I think, the, yeah, the first one I hosted. Oh, yeah. son, but I love that's beautiful. Yeah, because I love the SCP Foundation, and it's it's a fairly recent love. I only discovered it about maybe three, two years ago. But it is such such an appropriate like thing to 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 put with the Bureau Thirteen universe. Oh yeah. Well, it was a huge reservoir of possible uh, adventure seeds. Exactly, Cause, and it's yeah. still going today. I mean, I I think they're up to almost six thousand, seven thousand entries now. Oh no, I see. It blows up my YouTube feed when I'm watching my big TV every so often. SCP sixty three forty five, and mm -hmm. I'm just there scrolling. Thank you, Jonathan. <laughs> what, and what, what, is, what is that? What is SCP? Oh. Uh, I, I can give the explanation. It is a massive, at its core, it is a wiki filled uh, with the collaborative writings of, you know, people all over the world just creating spooky, scary monsters. Huh. Or items. Or anomalies. Anomalies, items, things like that. And there's an organization whose job it is to secure control and protect those items and, and anomalies. That's what SCP Foundation means. Oh, I've seen that. Okay, no, 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 you know what? I have seen that. You can go in there and just peruse it. Okay, it's kind of like going into wiki, <laughs> uh, into wiki tropes, or uh, TV tropes, but I'm just saying you go in there and you'll see, that, oh, this would be a great adventure. Just grab that thing and, and, and go with it. And, you know, 
because people are always like, where do you get all your ideas for adventures? Okay, it used to be it's like, well, you, you know, there's this chart of 100 different monsters in the in the Bureau 13 book, and you just basically take two 100-sided dice, and you roll and get two entries, and you put them together, and that's your adventure, and you just work from there. That was hmm. that was the J.P. Withers I mean, it was in, in, in like the uh, way, way back in Terror Watch newsletter, the J.P. Withers system for instant adventure generation. Nice. That was his idea. But that was the best anybody had other than to say, well, just, you know, do your research and come up with, you know, and fledgling GMs are like, I can't do that. That's too hard. Hey, I still say the best, the best method steal from other ips oh no yeah. what did J- what did jp haley say what about the serial yeah. numbers what about the serial numbers yep yeah that's what the scp was great for i mean they basically did that for you yeah what, what was the one it was uh it was take take two gurps books off your shelf at random and mix them together <laughs> everybody's had this same kind of idea of mashing two things together and see what sticks you know and and, mm-hmm. and you know that's so this, this this is a little bit better because, you know, someone has actually made the effort to flesh this out and talk about dangers and things that have to do with it and how it might have affected people. And it gives you like, you know, 90% of the adventure just in the description. So from that point on, it's pretty easy just to, you know, to, 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 to flesh it out additionally and throw it in front of your players. And if they don't yeah. like it. Go on to another one. You got another six, you got 6,000 more to choose from, you know, until you get good enough. It's there. Keep adding more every day. There's rejected ones. If you want to do a, a, a comedic um, adventure, there's some rejected or, or April Fool's Day entries you can pull from. Countless stories, just just prose set in that universe using some of these entries. So it is just a godsend for just adventure ideas for Bureau 13 or any other modern horror campaign. Yeah. All right. Well, Peter, what do you say? Uh, so for Bureau 13, I like the episode we did. I think we did one where, where you play the monsters. Oh, yeah. And I thought that was kind of cool because, you know, Bureau 13 is really about playing the agents for the most part. But there's no reason why you couldn't play the monsters. Well, a lot of times monsters are team members. Right. When you read the books, they don't mention, you know, there being any, you know, monsters in the party. You know, it's it's all just regular people, you know, snatched from the jaws of death and, you know, put put through a training course. And now they're out there fighting monsters. It's just like when they talk about the, you know, add, you know, the very first introduction of magic and uh, with the alchemists and and the witches uh, back in the early days of the Bureau. I mean, that for long, for many editions, that didn't exist. That only happened, you know, pretty much when we started talking about uh, the Black Powder years. And that was, you know, that was during the time that we did the podcast, I think. So, anyways, uh, you know, toward the end there, Richard, you know, was, you know, brought, we brought, due to our efforts to get him to finally talk about things, we brought a lot of stuff out. <laughs> this is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. This is Amber. It's all fun and games until the DM rolls a one. This is John Ryer saying keep your powder dry and keep those cards and letters coming in. And this is Blix. Remember, don't shoot the portals. They shoot back. This is Eric. It's all about having fun with friends. This is Jay Libby. The gamer generation is you. This is Jay. Keep it simple. The players are going to complicate it for you. And this is Mark saying good night and good luck. And this is Paul. 
When you remove the pin, Mr. Grenade is no longer your friend. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. This is Richard Tahoka. Wait, you see what's coming next. Gaming on the Frontier podcast is wholly owned by its hosts. It is released under the Creative Commons 3.0 license. No commercial reproduction and any use of any element of the podcast must be attributed to the Gaming on the Frontier podcast. Hi, this is Trav from the Travcast. Listen to me Tuesday nights, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern on listen.dementiaradio.org colon 8027.